0: The Tampa Bay Lightning are one win away from a third consecutive Stanley Cup final. It is Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance here. Of course, Strancer also does fantastic work covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, we're back live as a duo. It's Friday. I am hyped because, not only because it's Friday, but also we are one game away, one lightning win away, potentially, from my preferred Stanley Cup matchup. So I was walking on the way to the studio down by Olympic
1: Village, and you could see by the water that they were cleaning off the duck boats, getting ready for Sunday's anything can't happen celebratory parade. So we'll see. They they're gassing them up, cleaning them up, making them look pretty. Uh, the anything can't
0: happen parade may may take place as soon what, as Sunday. What's the name of like the guy who's in charge of the parade? There's a, there's a <laughs> name for that, right? That's it's like an old timey name. Oh yeah yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Isn't
1: it the Isn't it the leader? Maybe. The guy who has the who has the yeah, like the baton? Yeah yeah. That's gonna be you.
0: Pretty <laughs> for for anything can't happen parade. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think they call them the spoiler. <laughs> anyway, Tampa Bay, I thought they were pretty fortunate to be totally honest with you. They didn't, they weren't the, they were probably narrowly better than New York because New York just generated nothing. So I think that the Lightning managed to impose their will on the flow of that game, right? Like that game was a low chance affair and that obviously favors a Tampa Bay Lightning team that doesn't have brain point. So, I I do think that they were the better team, but, you know, to win it the way they did with a a couple of bouncy ones, right? And granted, the Rangers' goal was not exactly from home plate either. Yeah. Um, But, you know, to win it the way they did in New York and now have a chance to close a Rangers team that has struggled on the road, even when they've been hot throughout this playoffs, um, I mean, that's a comfortable spot for Tampa Bay to be. It's not over till it's over, but it's certainly looking good for... The three or the two time, (laughs) the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions to win their eleventh consecutive
0: playoffs. Yeah, as you said, you know, you never know, right? And would it be that shocking ultimately to see Igor Shosturkin steal a couple games? No, not really. But at the same time, they're the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're up in the series. They were favored even when it was two-one to come back and win the series. Certainly when it was two-two, and now they're three-two and going back home with a chance to close things out. Uh, I certainly would not bet against them and uh, as I said just from a purely aesthetic fan point of view I I am hoping for the Tampa Bay Lightning well, Colorado Avalanche
1: Vegas has matchup. them
0: Vegas has them at minus 200 yeah I mean You know,
1: they are heavy favorites going into Game 6. Going to be a fun night. Going to be a fun night of hockey. I'm going to watch every minute of it. I actually loved the game yesterday. I heard some people be like, what a snoozer. And I was like, the setting is great. The jersey matchup is great. The stakes are high. The competition level is through the roof. Like, I love this game. This is everything I love about watching playoff hockey. So for me, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And we'll see. I, I do think that Tampa Bay is going to get through. And I think Tampa Bay is going to give the Colorado Avalanche, if they get through, an awful lot of trouble. But we'll save series picks yeah, for next I'm not, week. Yeah,
0: I'm going to keep my powder dry there. But I do. It's going to be a fascinating one to try to handicap and, and try to predict if it does materialize there. A couple of people have texted in. And by the way, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Parade Marshall. Is the word I was trying to parade? Marshal the marshal, or you're going to be the the marshal or the grand marshal. Anything can't happen. Another year, another elite
1: team winning the Stanley Cup as always. Yeah, aim higher, folks. Aim higher. Speaking of which. The Vancouver Canucks. Yes,
0: let's get to the Vancouver Canucks. And, um, you know, I've been doing Canucks Central with uh, with Sat all week, which is, you know, a blast. Always always a pleasure to work with uh, the one and only Satyar Shah. But we've been discussing at length, you know, what else? Every, every Canucks fans, every Canucks commentator's favorite topic right now, JT Miller and the JT Miller situation. And somebody texted in uh, over the course of the week, you guys should just change the show to JT Miller Central. And it, it has felt like that at certain times, but... As I said on the on Canucks Central of Sat, I mean, there's a reason we're devoting a lot of airtime to it. It's the most fascinating situation that faces the Canucks going into this offseason. And it's going to dictate so much of what happens with this team, not just next year, but for years down the road. And, you know, the theme of our week here on Canucks Hour Drancer has been what you and Tarm have been uh, tackling at the Athletic. You know, the extendables week, looking at JT Miller, Bo Horvat, and Brock Besser in depth, kind of going through their situations comparables for what their next deals could look like, all of that. And what we want to do to kind of wrap up the week is not just look at, okay, what could happen with each of those guys individually this summer, but look a little farther down the road. What does it mean for the team? What do all of those situations individually and taken together mean, not just for next year, but for two years, three years down the road? And really, I think what it comes down to is you can make a case to keep, to sign any one of those guys, to a you know market rate extension because they're all good players. They all play an important role in your team. They can all help you win. But the question becomes, if you do that, what does it mean for the future salary cap health and the ability to compete, the ability to, as you say, put yourself in that elite tier that can win a Stanley Cup if you're the Vancouver Canucks? So it's a really, it's a really big question. The, you know, the reason that the JT
1: Miller conversation has occupied so much O2 in this market, you know, not, not just this week, right. Go dating back months, months. to like at least January basically is when it became a real hot topic. Endless. It's been endless. Uh, cacophonous. And the reason for that is that it's, you know, a, another turning point a fork stuck in the road, right? Like this is a crucial moment, a, a departure point where this club can tr- chart one of two directions. And we wanted to go through that in depth for that reason. I I view the stakes of these three decisions as being through the roof, as high as it gets for this franchise. The decisions you make across the board on these fronts will chart a course to either stick with a core group that we've seen be productive, right? That we've seen win games over 60 games, the latter 60 games of the season, but also in the bubble, do you double down on the fleeting success that you've occasionally seen, the flashes you've seen from this core assembled by the previous regime, or are we going to see something markedly different? And and for me, these three decisions sort of encapsulate And so this week we went through and we sort of gauged market value in terms of what you can expect in the future from these guys. We We gauged comparables. We got into what the deals could look like. And then, we, and then we projected out and did a long-term cap projection to, to, to beg the question, can the Canucks even afford to keep this group together? And, and one thing to note is, you know, when you're poorly managed, when you're a poorly managed hockey team, you end up getting in your own way. You know, the, the way to think of it is like chess where a good player will set up their pawn wall to provide defense, but also facilitate their own attacks and a bad player or a, or a player having an off game will get bogged down and stuck behind their pawn wall. So it like, doesn't even matter that they've made a good move elsewhere on the board. The, the, the upside of the good moves they made are limited by the structure that they've sort of put themselves into. And I, and I feel that way with the Canucks forward group, because I like almost all of the players uniformly yeah. as players. Like, I'm a big Niels Hoaglander guy. I'm a big Vasilipod Podkolzin fan. I-, I-, I like his game a lot. I think Vasily Podkolzin could well be, you know, a, a top six quality heavy press. You know, I-, I think the world of Elias Pettersson, no one listening to our program uh, is new to that opinion. I, I think JT Miller is a very, very good player. I think Bo Horvat's a very good player. I- I'm probably higher on Brock Besser yep. than anyone else in this market. So, across the board, I like the individual players. But you have to consider how the Canucks are positioned here, which is that... Eight of their top nine highest scoring forwards will expire either this year, next year, or the year after. So when you think about what it looks like, should this Canucks team succeed as currently constructed? If you believe in the Boudreaux bump, right? If you believe in the last 60 games that that's representative of what this club can be, and they're going to be a 100-point team with minimal changes going into next season, and, you know, Rutherford was brought in to make changes, but he needs to be patient with this group. Look what they accomplished under Boudreaux. It was all Travis Green's fault. If you're one of those people, right? One thing you have to account for, understand, is that the upside of that scenario playing out is limited to this team because there is no built-in cost certainty in terms of the forwards that it's going to take playing at an extremely high level to bring that, you know, uh, rosy vision into reality. Like, if the Canucks are, in fact, that 100-plus point team, that means Elias petterson has been 35-plus goals, 90-plus points— it means JT Miller's recreated his yeah. top 10 scoring clip from last year. It means that Bo Horvat's a 35 goal scorer for sure and is healthy all year. It means all of those things. You know, honestly, it
0: also means. Pod Colson continues to improve. Hoaglander but, probably takes has a bounce Puck back. Pod Colson's
1: a 40 point player with, with plus physical value, at which point you're getting into a $3.5 million valuation. If he does it another year, you're looking at a $5 million valuation on his second contract. Hoaglander, if Hoaglander just. Is like a thirty-point guy next year. He's a two and a, he's a two and a half million-dollar player on his second contract. If he gets back to his year one form, you are talking about four, four and a half million. And this is what I am saying: where the Canucks have constructed this roster so that even if all the bets that they've placed here pay off next year, the upside of that is limited to them because all of those guys then get that much more expensive, limiting the club's ability to continue to improve. And that's where they're at. They, they're They're in a situation where even their upside is downside. Yeah. And you have to, you know, Rutherford's used the term unravel a lot. And it's such a good term because there's so many knots that need to be
0: ironed out if this club's going to have some string to pull on, basically. And that's where it becomes so incredibly crucial. And this is true for every team. But especially with the situations the the Canucks are in, to nail your evaluation of what the team currently is. Because all of the risk you're laying out, if you think there's a really good chance you can be a Stanley Cup contender over the next two years, you sign up for that risk, right? Like, you can keep the core together over the next two years, and if you think, hey, man, we are right there, we add one piece, and we are going to be going for the Stanley Cup, great, accept that risk, and then you'll deal with it down the road. But if you're not there, if you don't think you're legitimately at that spot, then that risk becomes untenable no no one's criticizing the tampa bay lightning for trading all their draft picks yeah put it that way and and look the tampa bay lightning are going to have to make some difficult cap decisions again this summer which they're they're no stranger to they've already had to do that but that's not a problem because they're consistently competing for the stanley cup right you winning it in fact (laughs) not (laughs) not just competing consistently winning it
1: well and their and their big crunch comes not next not this summer although andres palat's looking pretty essential and I don't see how they have the money to resign and him. He is gonna get paid this offseason. If he wants to. Yeah. If it, he wants to. Yeah. But if he wants to keep winning with that group, you know, then then it's a very different question. But it's the it's the year after that where you've got Sorelli, Sergoshev, and Cernak all up. I mean, that's going to be a murderous situation for Tampa Bay management to navigate. So anyway, back to the Canucks though. I think you're you're dead on. It's about where you're positioned and what the what the what is the upside to this team of going all in and as we've seen, I think, and I hope last year is proof positive of it, the upside is far too limited with the group as it is to continue to push chips into the middle of the table in support of bolstering this group. Now, that's not to say you have to dismantle it, right? It's just to say that you have to build on what you've got with an eye toward the future, particularly because this club could have somewhere between five and a half and six and a half million to spend this offseason on tweaks, right? On bringing in. You know, a Brett Kulak, who I really like, by the way, right? Like, if you're going Brett Kulak and one of Pullman or Myers, I think that's an upgrade, particularly if you're playing ekman larson with Hughes. I think that's a huge upgrade to your top four, for example. But Kul- Kulak's had two consecutive strong playoff runs. So you're, you're, you know, you're committing three and a half at least, uh, probably with term, for that type of deal. As a Dorov-type player, same thing, right? And... That doesn't seem like a lot. I'd probably like those deals in a vacuum for, for some teams. But for a Canucks team, that's $3.5 that then makes it harder on you the next year and the next year. When you know, you've know you got Hoaglander and mm-hmm. Miller and Horvat getting significant lifts. And then Pedersen and Coles in the year after. And, and of course, Brock Besser this summer. So it, it's all connected. It's all a very complicated sort of set of puzzle pieces that Rutherford and Alvin need to pick at and prod at and, and try and arrange in the right uh, direction. And and I think the major thing that they need to have their eye on and, and this is sort of, you know, what I hope we illustrated with our, with our pieces at the athletic is just that it's one thing, the core group, the idea that there, these are easy decisions, the idea that um, that Miller has to go yeah or this team is doomed. Something that I've, Thought here and there. Like, I flirted with that take over over the course of the past six months. But I don't really buy it. Miller is at a high enough level that I think you can fit him into a winning team. Um, same goes for Bo Horvat. Same goes for Brock Besser. If you pay them a lot, into their 30s, I still think you can win. The problem for this team is that to do that and win requires you to have a critical mass of you know, a critical mass source of reliable, cheap labor, which the Canucks don't, which they don't have right now at all, at all. I, I mean, I had one comment on the athletic article we published yesterday, projecting the Canucks cap space through 2024, 25. I think it was Faber actually, who uh, left the comment because he was like, you're forgetting about the contributions they're going to get from guys like D Pietro and, and Linus Carlson and Aiden McDonough and uh, Danila Klimovich and you, um, and Yoni Yermo in the years ahead. I've been told that all those guys are centers as well, and they're going to be a (laughs) real thing to fix the future. Told by by people in the comments, by the way. Right, okay. And so I'm just like, yeah, I'm not forgetting those guys at all. I'm just not assuming that they're going to be helpful. That's how you get into, like, the Canucks are going to be a great team in a few years. Like, look at this, you know, this Berchi, you know, um, Horvat-Vertanen line is going to crush. It's like you can't assume that young guys are going to, figure it out and get to that level and as a result of the Canucks not having any really safe bets to be big-time contributors even a player like Jack Rathbone who's by far their best prospect and I think is a surefire bet with his speed and offensive tools to play 200 300 NHL he's gonna have a long NHL career there's a real shot that he's a Kevin Connaughton type as opposed to a Alex Goligoski type right I mean I I would bet on Jack Rathbone I love the game but there is a real shot. You can't count on him being Alex Goligosky for you. You have to understand the attrition rate, how hard it is to take that leap, uh, especially looking forward. And, and one Jack Rathbone's not enough. You need so much more than that. For me, that's the, that's the crucial bit is how do the Canucks create that if they're doubling down on
0: this group? And that's why when you start to go down that line of thinking, right, the need to refresh that pipeline of, you know, as you said, cheap, cost-controlled talent that can come in and really contribute, well, in all likelihood, the easiest way to do that is to cash in on some of these really enticing chips that you have that are going to need potentially risky contracts, right? Because, yeah, there are other guys that you can trade, and, you know, the, the logical thing to say is, okay... Keep Besser, Horvat, Miller. I don't want to say logical, but one one route you can take that is keep Besser, Horvat, and Miller. Uh do everything you can to move the other Tyler guys. Myers, yeah. Tanner Pearson, Jason Dickinson, maybe Connor Garland you throw in there if you're signing Besser uh, and Miller. And that's great. You can move most of those deals with Jason Dickinson probably being the one exception, but what are you getting back? It's not going to be this incredible influx of draft capital and prospects. You'll get the salary cap space, and that might allow you to do some other things. But will it allow you to do enough? It's to- A different degree of move? yeah, exactly. no question. It, like it, this cap space is great. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and again, maybe if you think the core is close enough to really take a shot at the Stanley Cup, that you know you open up. I don't know. Whatever. What did I say there? Garland, Myers, Pearson, Dickinson. That's like. Probably in the neighborhood of fifteen million uh, cap space that you're opening up. Okay, you can do a lot of interesting things to improve your team, but is it changing that fundamental reality that you're talking about, where you just don't have enough in the cupboards to keep supplementing a team that's getting increasingly more expensive every year? Yeah, and
1: and you have to remember too, you know, like Pearson was full market value for his contract, and yet he's good, and yet most teams around the league feel like they can find you know, good middle six forwards who play the game the right way and have experience but aren't aces on either special teams unit for a million dollars, right? I mean, that's that's the issue. And and if they dealt him when, you know, during that 2021 season, for example, right, if, he, if he'd been dealt then, uh, the, the second round pick or the late first that the Canucks probably would have netted in return for that uh, at this point, at this point, would be you know a, only a year away from contributing. You might have you'd probably have the organization's best prospect to be totally honest with you, and you'd be looking ahead to a world where they could be a partial solution and not a pie in the sky one to the cap crunch years ahead. And you have to sort of just extrapolate that type of thinking into what the Canucks are facing now, right? If the key shot that you're going to take with a smaller core group, right? A, a Pedersen, Demko, Hughes-led group with with perhaps Bo Horvat included in that. If the shot you're going to take with those guys, if the window for them to really take a step opens in the last two years of Demko's current deal, which is to say in 2024-25, which for me is probably realistic, mm-hmm. not, not guaranteed, but probably realistic, um, you know, there are players you could draft next month that would potentially be pushing or helping you win games in that in that season. Or at the very least, would be assets to help you build up at the deadline that season. So, you know, you, you do have to sort of be willing, I think. This organization has to be willing to take, and, and I don't mean this in terms of their results. I don't mean a step back in terms of their quality on paper even. I mean, take a step back and focus on more than what the team is today. And focus instead on the, the the full gamut, the everything, everywhere, all at once of it, of what could be in two years with some bold moves now. And and that's, that's the path that I think is suggested when you really get into these deals. But all of that said, I don't think the—I understand the temptation— of just keeping this group together and seeing what they can do. Like, I do understand that temptation. I can see why it would be a compelling one internally, particularly because this team is kind of set up to have, like, one more year with this core group before it kind of becomes untenable from a a cap space perspective. I I just don't know that this group has shown enough collectively to to bet on, to wager on in a major way if you're new incoming Canucks management. And that's sort of the big question, I think, we're all talking about going into a pretty crucial month for the club leading up to the NHL draft. And I think it's why you're seeing the silly season begin to
0: yeah. percolate more significantly right now. And there's a couple of clips that we'll play uh, in the second segment that are like the true definition of silly season. But are also very interesting for a couple of different reasons uh, that came out today on various podcasts around. But just the, the last point to you know value, as you said, taking a step back and maybe looking a little bit down the road. Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine have had a lot of really interesting things to say since they took over and I think a lot of very honest and direct and straightforward and candid things to say the one topic that I think has been a little bit hard to parse and has been a bit of a you know an ink blot you can kind of read it however you want is how much emphasis they're going to put on being competitive next year, right? Because we've heard some allusions to, oh, you know, maybe we'll have to take a step back to get better in the future. But we've also heard, you know, Patrick Alvin say, hey, we want to be good next year, right? We're not just tearing – we're not going to trade everyone away and just not even worry uh, about what we're doing next year. So that's the kind of interesting – that's one of the big philosophical questions that I don't think we have a really clear answer to. Probably we'll get it. Uh, You know, depending on what happens with Horvat and Besser and Miller, among other situations. But that one has been really interesting to kind of think about and parse and try to figure out, Okay, what direction are we likely to see? And will it include some fireworks? Yeah, we're going to play a couple of clips about uh, various insiders from around the NHL talking about the Canucks, what they might do, what maybe they should consider doing this summer. That is coming up next uh, as a reminder, don't forget, subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating and review if you do enjoy the show. Back for more Canucks talk on the other side It's Sportsnet 650. The Pizza Hut Buffet.
1: Aim higher, folks. Aim higher.
0: Welcome back to the show. It is... Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here with you. Final segment of the week here on the program. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come. With fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit AvenueMachinery.ca. I was mentioning just... Um, just before the break, Drance, the various different ways you can read Alvin and Jim Rutherford's comments about, you know, next season specifically. Could there be a potential for taking a step back? How important is being competitive? All of that. And this unsigned text comes in, uh, is take a step back code for tank for Connor Bedard. And, you know, we've mentioned this before, but I think unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you view the tanking debate, I do not see a scenario where the Canucks end up bad enough to truly be in the Connor Bedard running next year. As exciting as it would be to see the local phenom end up in Canucks colors.
1: Well, unless Frank Saravalli's good buddy is right, (laughs) and Thatcher Demko's body doesn't hold up, then you can see it. Yep. So... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people are upset with Frank Cerevalli's commentary today, but hey, maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> I want,
0: uh, We will play the Cerevalli clip uh, about Thatcher Jenko, but the one I want to get to first is actually uh, from another podcast, and it's Nick Kiprios, of course, former NHL player, now uh, hosts uh, Real Kipper and Bourne on our sister station in Toronto, Fan 590. I don't think it's called Real Kipper and Born. I'm pretty just, sure it's just called Just Kipper and Oh, Born. Kipper and Bourne. Yeah. Well, he's Real Kipper on Twitter. Yeah, he oh, is. Whatever, close enough. Sure. <laughs> Come on. I'm just saying. Don't send this clip to uh, Kiprio. He'll be mad at (laughs) me. Anyways. You've been lawyered. (laughs) Host on our sister station, Fan 590. Of course, former NHL player as well. He was on Bob McCowan's podcast. Of course, Bob McCowan, Long time sports media personality here in Canada. Uh, Bob McCown and John Shannon, the two co-hosts on the podcast. And Kiprios had some very, very interesting things to say about the direction that he thinks Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin could take the Canucks this summer. I'll tell you what, Bob, I, you talked about the word rebuild there. Nothing would surprise me with Jim Rutherford. In Vegas. Well, no, but what does he do? Does he, does he, well, does he keep with his, his an original plan, which I'm sure was, I got, this is broken completely. I got to fix it. Or does he go, Hmm, maybe I'll just no, sit no, no, tight no, again no. for another six months. It's broken. He yeah. knows it's broken. He
1: knows it's broken. He, yeah. he, Jim has gone in there with a plan. He's taking his time with the plan. You know, the two key dates for him are what he what he can do on the draft floor on the seventh, with a couple of his star players, uh, and then yeah. what he wants to do in free agency. I, yeah. I, I think that I, I think that we may not. Reckon, there's going to be a core there of Pedersen and Hughes and Demko, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure who else. And Horvath. Oh, no, he's
0: he's going to make a splash here. Sure he he's, is. He's going to change it up. He doesn't like he doesn't like the room, guys. Thinks it's a country club in there. He's going to change it up. What does that mean to Miller? What does that mean to Bo Horvat, uh, Brock Besser? He's not going to pay. So there's going to be a different look within six months of this team. There you go. That is Bob McCown, John Shannon, and Nick Hiprios. With some very, very interesting thoughts about what Jim Rutherford thinks about the Vancouver Canucks and what he plans to do. And, you know, a couple of phrases that really stand out there. It's broken. He, he being Jim Rutherford, knows it's broken. You know, you heard there's going to be a core of Pedersen, Demko, Hughes, and Horvat. Not sure who else. And then Kiprios towards the end there saying he's going to make a splash. Doesn't like the room. Thinks it's a country club. He's going to change it up. And... I don't know. For those of us who have been uh, kind of patiently waiting to get to the fireworks factory of Trader Jim and the, the big makeover uh, that could be coming for the Vancouver Canucks. Pretty interesting to chew on in, as we said, the midst of silly season and being in full swing here. Yeah. The so one one quick thing. The only thing I materially disagree with
1: uh, from what we just heard is the idea that they're not going to pay Besser, mostly because they may not have an option. Right? It may come down to a scenario where they don't have an option. The, if they can pull something out of the fire and come to a compromise agreement, that would be great. But I would be pretty surprised if they... I w- in fact, I would be stunned if they left him unqualified, just considering the value that he represents or should represent as an asset. I think they'll protect their interests in that regard, uh, should it come down to it, and they have the cap space to do so. So that would be the one thing that... you know, I mean, in an ideal world, I think we all understand that Besser at 7'5", you know, that's a that's too heavy. But Besser at six five is not, and I don't think you lose the asset entirely well, over a one million quibble yeah, on would valuation. You, would
0: you rather have Besser at seven point five or lose him for nothing?
1: That that could be what it ultimately comes right, down but, to, but, right? But
0: but it's not close. Yeah. It's
1: it, not it's not a close decision. It's, it's Besser at seven point five. Hundred percent. And and I think the organization knows that. So, you know, that that would be the one thing that I, I'd say I materially disagree with. You know, Oh, the I know the country club quotes are getting a big play on, on social media, and they should, but I don't know that what Kipper is saying is subtext or, like, surfacing subtext we weren't aware of. It's text. Like, it's been more than intimated by what management has said publicly about this team, about work habits, about preparation, uh, about what Bruce Boudreaux has talked about with slow starts and the need to be prepared for game times and the need to work on... Being prepared, the habits that get you prepared. Uh, what Alvin said about practice habits. What what the what they've said about structure. Um, you know, none of this should come as a surprise if you've been paying attention to what Canucks management have said about the group of players that they've you know been brought in to evaluate and and turn into, mold into uh, something more than this club is at the moment. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean for everybody? I mean, we'll see. But 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 again, I don't think there's anything there that's a huge departure from what we already have been told, albeit, you know, a little bit more tactical. Yes. Than, for sure. <laughs> then um, you know, by
0: by by the principles involved. And it really comes back to, you know, if let's just say for the sake of argument that what Caprios had to say there matches the thinking internally from Canucks Brass very, very closely. That doesn't guarantee you're going to see these dramatic moves with, you know, 10, 12 roster players uh, going out of town and almost a whole new cast coming in to kind of support that core of three or four or five players. Right. It could end up be like, that's all, just, just a lot to do in one offseason. It could end up being, you know, a much more gradual kind of I don't even want to say rebuilding, but reshaping of where the Canucks stand. But it could be dramatic, right? Like, like that is one possibility, that if a bunch of things happen to line up, and you do think there's something broken with this team, and you get the opportunity to do it this summer, like, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. I wouldn't bet on it, just because it's hard to take care of that much business in the span of, you know, a couple of months, or, you know, at a couple of key dates, like the draft and free agency, but... I think it's the the kind of thing that we should be at least prepared for the possibility of it happening. Because as you said, it matches a lot of what we've heard from from this management group.
1: If new Canucks management gets carte blanche from Canucks ownership to actually rebuild in a meaningful way around a small core group of existing talent on this roster, Canucks fans should be thrilled. That would be the best thing that's happened to this franchise in a long, long time, particularly... You know, with the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final, I've been thinking about this a lot. Because the Colorado Avalanche were one of the worst teams in hockey, right? They were, in fact, a team with worse lottery odds than the Vancouver Canucks at the 2017 NHL draft, right? And the Canucks end up selecting Pedersen, just one pick, after Kale McCarr. uh, After both teams moved down multiple spots in that particular draft lottery. And I don't remember where the Avs were picking the next year, but I know they took a material step forward uh, that next season uh, where the Canucks did not. But the fact is, is that these two teams were relatively similarly perched not long ago, five five years ago. Mm -hmm. And one team is going to be playing for the Stanley Cup this year after two years of being the best team in hockey and the other has spun their wheels, right? Uh, in fact, just gotten lodged more firmly in the mushy middle uh, despite having, you know, one one run of of playoff fun during the, that bubble season. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because it was the next season that the Canucks ended up drafting Quinn Hughes. And that 2017-18 season, that was really the first year that we began to see this Canucks team lean into an actual rebuild. Like we started to see some of those trades uh you know the Burroughs deal the the hansen deal mm-hmm. we, like we started to see those and and notably we saw the twins retire right so that was 2017 18 was the twins last season and all of a sudden the club was really into a new era where the rebuild had to be embraced and it was the, besser's rookie year as well and then right. you, yeah so there's a lot going on kind of and, pushing and it in and Pedersen just destroying the shl on vacqua and on and on and and it was that summer it was that summer that a material difference in what the direction of the club should be going forward, uh, surfaced, right? And, you know, we all know that just a few weeks after the draft and free agency, Trevor Linden departed the organization. He'd been pitching a more patient rebuild, rebuilding project, and sort of lost out on that power struggle. And the Canucks instead went out and did the Beagle deal and the Roussel deal. And a year later, the JT Miller deal and began to look to accelerate in more meaningful ways. Um, You know, the team's ability to compete on a nightly basis in the NHL as opposed to doing the sorts of things that I think this market should and would welcome wholeheartedly, which is being smart about using cap space to your advantage, um, accumulating a ton, like an absolute embarrassment of futures, and being well-perched to have a meaningful come-up that that puts you among the NHL's elite in, in the years ahead. You know, I, I, to me, that Avs Canucks thing, it's like Joe Sackick made every mistake in the book at the end of the, I think it was the 2014-15 mm-hmm. season where the Avs made the playoffs, right? They doubled down, on, you know, they signed Jerome McGinley, one of the slowest teams I've ever seen. Um, you know, they doubled down on Patrick Waugh's vision of, of a hockey team that could win games despite having, you know, Andre Benoit play top pair minutes and stuff, right? And... He made every mistake in the book, and then learned from it and changed directions. And not that not that Trevor Linden was perfect by any means, but Linden never got the opportunity to learn from the mistakes that he made in the yeah. in the first part of his tenure. Um, but I think you can see changes after 2016. Right, 2016 was this stretch of moves that doomed the Canucks to not be able to reload quickly before the Twins' retirement. And and here's the here's the three moves that really sort of summarize it. Ole Olevy, fifth overall. Eric Goodbranson for Jared McCann, plus, plus. And uh, Louis Erickson signing. Now, the Erickson signing was a normal mistake within the ordinary course. The Goodbranson trade happened with very little consultation with the club's pro scouting staff at the time, which, which created a fair bit of dissension. And then the Olevi pick was an example of, uh, you know, a a tournament scouting pick. Uh, Upper management, specifically Benning, um, had seen him crush tournaments and, and were too narrowly focused on him. And thereafter, you saw the process change a bit. Lyndon challenged Benning to open up the process, to have a one, frankly. And... That's where you get to, you know, the arguments, the now storied arguments between The Pedersen Glass debate, the Pedersen de- Glass debate, which I think is, you know, a, a, an interesting one because I don't know that it's as dramatic as like Benning for Glass yeah. versus, but the the it's that story has the virtue of being true. That's certainly that's certainly the right pe- the right way to frame it in terms of the dynamics. I just don't know that uh, I don't know that. Benning was as dead set on on uh, on glasses sort yeah. of has been p-
0: portrayed. And the one thing I'll say about that story is it's often kind of used as like the ultimate trump card against Jim Benning, right? Like see, he didn't even want Elias Petterson. And uh, that's fair as far as it goes, but I mean ultimately as you said he followed the correct process and made the right pick as the general manager and signed off on the right pick. For sure. So you know although, what I mean? So it, although a
1: lot of people think like without what happened in 2016, and the change in process that, that came in as a result, uh, and Lyndon's more heavy heavy involvement, uh, I do th- I do think there's people close to the process who who believe that the pick would have been Glass I just think that. it's
0: it's more complicated than like, oh, he wanted Cody Glass. It is more like, complicated. You know what I mean? It, the, it, there's, the, the, a, there's a more interesting story to tell the, there about the, the fairy tales of told, choosing it. Yeah, the fairy
1: yeah. tales told around that pick are uh, a little bit um, touch and go. But, but the meat of it is not incorrect. Sure. The meat of it is not incorrect is my understanding. So- Anyway, I, I almost forget where the Glass-Petterson thing... <laughs> talking about changing the process after the levy, Right. So there was that sort of movement toward a more progressive Linden era was sort of occurring. And it just, we just never got, it sort of was stillborn ultimately. And we never got a chance to see it play out. That was sort of nipped in the bud as the club decided instead to do its trademark "never meet a shortcut you don't want to take" thing and go about trying to accelerate the rebuild in a in a meaningful way. And, and I do think it set the team back. Right? I do think the results of the last four years. You can't look at what's happened since 2018 and say that the club was right to go in a more pressing, urgent win now direction. Like that that project has failed. Yep, has failed materially. Uh, the team has neither won nor accumulated, and now is in. This really tough middle ground for Rutherford and new management to sort of figure out. And if they ultimately do decide to more dramatically dismantle this team, to to more dramatically look ahead, to even be willing to take a step back on paper, despite the fact that Patrick Alvin and Jim Benning have both publicly expressed uh, their belief that this club doesn't need to rebuild, uh, you know, I think that would be a good thing. All of that said, I'm not expecting it. Yeah. I'm expecting something a little bit more conservative. Not significantly more conservative, but a little bit more conservative. I'm expecting the team to make a few future-looking moves while also replacing those players with more affordable players who are younger and have more upside, right? And and trying to have their cake and eat it too. Now, we'll see how it works. It didn't work in 2014. It didn't work in 2015. Uh, the 2016 pr- moves that I sort of elaborated. That really was the death knell. Before that, I think it might have been able you might have been able to thread the needle. Uh, After that, I don't think I think it was over. Like, I think the team was slotted for years of pain anyway and just should have embraced (laughs) those years of pain as opposed to trying to accelerate out of it as quickly as they did too quickly, as it turns out. But I do think there's a path now with the amount of talent on this roster to try and thread the needle and at least be You know, a wild card contending team while also netting the types of futures that can pay off down the line and accumulating the type of depth of talent required to offset, um, you know, what's going to occur in terms of this team's depth as the years sort of go on and, and some of these core players get more expensive. And that's sort of still what I expect. The left-hand, right-hand analogy that I've brought up that I think we've already seen telegraphed in a very small sample of moves to this point in Rutherford's first six months on the job. Uh, That's what I'm expecting from the Canucks this summer, but... If it's something
0: more dramatic, I do think this market should welcome it. Uh, speaking of the potential for a more dramatic rebuild, I want to re- I, I want to play a clip from Frank cervelli I want to read this text quickly from Jay in Calgary who says, Just start trading all players over 23 years old. Get as much as you can for each player and prioritize high-end young talent or high picks in the return for the big guys. He says they could keep Demko, too. But if a return is huge, they need to consider it. He also says, uh, in my opinion, just trying to do a more competent version of what Benning did when he first started will not work. That's from Jay in Calgary. And interesting that you should bring up the possibility of trading uh, the franchise goalie Thatcher Demko Jay in Calgary. Because Frank Saravelli, daily face-off uh, NHL insider and, of course, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, relayed a very interesting conversation he had with a league source today on the uh, DFO rundown podcast here's what frank had to say
1: i had a a league executive i was talking to in in deep conversation and it'd be fun to just bat around the idea he was like i would trade thatcher demko right now what and i was like huh i almost fell off my chair jay i almost fell off my chair i was like thatcher demko he's one of the best goalies in the league, let alone being at his age and locked up for four more years at 5 million bucks. Like he's perfect. Uh, huh. Uh, there seemed to be some thought that they, they were like, I don't know if his body's going to be able to keep up. He's had some hip issues already. Mm. And they, he said, watch out for that. Okay. He's going to be the next Corey Schneider is what I was told.
0: That is Frank Saravelli saying that an NHL executive recommended that the Canucks should immediately trade Thatcher Demko to get ahead of potential letdown uh, in Demko's body and his physical performance in the years to come. Grant, you buying it? You, buy, you buying the logic there? No. 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 Uh, one, one thing I'll say, though.
1: There's 17 goalies in the NHL that played 50 games or more. 50 games or more this season. There are three of them that I would say did that and performed to their career norms, avoided significant injury late in the year, or didn't have a massive letdown once they got to the playoffs, right? Uh, Ilya Sorokin, Andre Vasilevsky, and and Igor Shosturkin. Those are the three guys. All Russians, by the way. I don't know if you want to do a Russian (laughs) machine never breaks joke here, but um, the other 14 all either struggled late in the year dealt with injury late in the year, like Tristan Jari or, uh, Thatcher Demko or, uh, Freddie Anderson, or, I mean, go down the list. All of the goalies that played a lot this season got hurt or, or weren't good or weren't good or, or had like a Markstrom like yip in the playoffs where you could just tell that they were a shadow of themselves yeah. because of, you know, the, the impact of fatigue. So for me, the concern is not Demko style. Like Demco's not a John Gibson. Like John Gibson plays in a way where I'm like always worried that he's going to tear his groin. <laughs> Demko doesn't play that way. Like I don't see that personally, and I've never heard it before from Kevin Woodley, <laughs> who I watch a lot of hockey with and who yeah. points out these things at a level that I'll never be able to point them out. So I weighed his opinion heavily. I've never heard that from him. I think Demko played too much this year. Do you remember? There was like that two-month stretch. After the sort of Omicron pause subsided, where they, Halak kind of lost the trust of the organization, yes, and he played a lot, and he played every game. Yeah. Like there was, there was Halak H- made the start in New Jersey, but Demko had to come in in relief. Halak made the start against one other team. It at was the home. Islanders, I want to say. Yeah, and yeah. got lit. Yeah. and and Demko had to come in in relief. So it was like even his days off weren't days off, and he just played constantly. And from then on, I think you could begin to see the impact of that. And and I heard a lot about the impact of that behind the scenes, too. A lot, a lot of ice bags and, and a lot of work, too. Because one thing that Ian Clark requires is that you don't show pain, you don't show emotion, sure. you don't show disappointment. Part of what makes Demko special is that Demko carries himself on the ice like every save is easy, right? He's never sold a glove save, right? He doesn't He doesn't taunt anybody. He just, like goes about his business and it just seems so annoying to play against right um you know i did i did i do think that injuries and and wear and tear became an issue this season but i don't think it was anything that you'd look at and think oh that's going to be an issue for years to come i think it was just that they overused him to such a wild extent during a wildly compressed schedule and wore him down and i saw you know for me the concern with Demko is more can you set yourself up to manage his workload yep far better than they did this season because if you can't like if he hadn't gotten hurt he would have played the third most games in the NHL this season in his first season as a starter. He'd never done it before and they just rode him into the ground. That's the thing that needs to change, not you know being out on Demko's stock because of because of his body. And that's
0: my that's my view. The one him. thing I'll say as well is just from a purely kind of high level philosophical point of view, you know, the point of having Good players is that they help you win hockey games, not that they, you know, drive their value up and you can use them to acquire better assets, right? Like, that's not why you want to have good players. And when you have a fantastic superstar player at a key position under an extremely team-friendly contract for four years, like, great, use that to help you win games. Don't use it to acquire guys that maybe have a, a shadow of a chance of turning into that down the road just just the last thing is like fantasy tight
1: ends there's no good ones you know like goalies yeah. are so hard if you're a team like the toronto maple leafs or the edmonton oilers or you know one of those teams that needs to upgrade a net this summer you're looking and it's like you know you've got like mark andre fleury you've got you know maybe the sends buy out matt murray you've got jack campbell you've got Ville Huso. like Really? You want you want to you want to play in that market? You, you want to, to live in that y- world? Y- you want to pay Jack Campbell five million dollars, or do you want to keep the five million dollar goaltender you've got, who's a fringe Vesna nominee, and and is only twenty six years old? I mean, it's for me, it's not a discussion in part because it's so hard, it's so
0: hard to find the type of goaltender that Demko. Has proven himself to be over the last two years Uh, and I'll I'll give the final word on this to our our listeners Uh, lots of people texted in some variation of this but Dan in Fort St. John says that league exec Cervelli was talking to was Ken Holland looking for a good deal (laughs) <laughs> yeah, on a goalie. Well, then
1: good for him. Good for him, Kenny. Yeah, he use that media. he's trying
0: to put it out there, that's <laughs> smart. That's yeah. just very smart by Ken Holland. Well, that's sharp. All now, right.
1: my, my, my opinion's completely different now.
0: <laughs> good <laughs> take. Thanks good for take. listening. We appreciate it. Thanks for texting in. Enjoy the weekend. We will be back on Monday. Uh, People's Show. Confession Friday with Big Nazar and Randy is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.